this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. From the border of liberty and prosperity and the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars. For Wednesday, January You ever had a conversation with someone and you say, oh, someone, I should have said X, Y, and I should have, could have, would have. And you're, you come to the right place because we're going to help you out a little bit tonight on this. We're going to be talking about the pushback faced by safety professionals. Now, uh, this is like the third time or fourth time I'm making this presentation here between the podcast and a live broadcast here at Safety Wars Live. Uh, heard Monday through Friday, most Mondays through Fridays from 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's New York time uh, to 9 p.m. And as I always point out, it is afternoon drive time in the West Coast, on the West Coast. If you are downtrodden, if you're angry, Everything else that goes along with it. No, we, I know what we have. I've worked in many, many difficult, extremely difficult working environments and everything else out there. And you have to develop strategies on how to deal with things and how to cope with things. Because once you get into a routine, and if you get into a routine, it becomes much easier to manage things. Much easier to survive. As a former employer of mine said, Jim, if this bothered you for six and a half years, how come you didn't say anything? It's like, yeah, well, I did say something. Uh, and But the thing, well, how come you say for six and a half years? Well, I say for six and a half years because I'm, I have patience. Sometimes a glutton for punishment. I, sometimes I stay too long uh, with that. And something to remember Safety professionals, uh, we as safety professionals, we are not production. We're not production. We're not seen as somebody who could make money, usually, unless you're in a consultant position and working for a consulting house and, you know, they're building you out at something. You're really not seen as someone who can help the organization and their bottom line with a lot of organizations. A lot of organizations, that's how uh, they're, they're 20, 30 years behind the times. They don't see it from the big picture where if you have a happy workforce, you have a safe working environment, you have uh, at least treat people with some respect, you're probably going to have a more productive workforce and a uh, nicer place to work and be able to retain peop- a lot, people a lot longer and everything else. Because one of the most common things, there is a lot of studies on this, that people are willing to stay in a working environment as long as they like working there. Dealing with burnout and stress doesn't really work that well with uh, anything. So we're going to talk about pushback strategies. And I wanted to, uh, before I went on, Last night we talked about uh, nuclear and radiological issues on last night's program. That's available on our podcast, Safety Wars. Uh, we tried to upload the programs that I am satisfied with up there. That's usually 75% of the time. I'm happy with the episodes and I'm, uh, with the live presentation, I'm able to upload those. There's no technical difficulties or anything like that. So, uh, what, what, what does it come down to is why are we covering this? Today, in the news section, and uh, 
we're going to just briefly talk about this is now uh, today we are sending tanks. We meaning NATO, the Leopard 2 tanks from Germany. And uh, Germany, so basically when you, when a country sells tanks or authorizes the sale of tanks to another country, there is a caveat where you're not allowed to send those tanks somewhere else. There's no middleman and you can't do that without a, uh, without permission from where you got the tanks. So uh, after weeks, this is from CNN.com. After weeks of Poland and other NATO members openly pressured Germany to permit to dispatch a Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine, finally appears the U.S. and some EU allies will send armor, a move that was unthinkable months ago to the front line against Russia. It's a momentous decision partly because these, unlike air defense systems or the anti-tank missiles, are not defensive weapons. They are offensive weapons. But unlike those, unlike everything else, they're about Ukraine three taking territory. We now have a Russian frigate off the east coast of the United States, uh, equipped with hypersonic uh, missiles. Whether they're nuclear or not, I have no idea. I don't think anyone really knows. Not a good thing. We have the F fifteen EX that we talked about last night being deployed in uh, the Pacific Rim in the very near future, that is equipped with hypersonic missiles. Uh, Those are U.S. missiles. We have the uh, Russians threaten a nuclear war. And now they say, right, are they serious or not? I have no idea. I cannot control. Oh, and the one thing I forgot here, now Ukraine is pushing for F-16 fighter jets. All right? Those are... uh, one generation back than what, what we're being deployed now, but we, a lot of countries still use those as 16s, including the United States. So now they're pushing for that, which means uh, my understanding, I'm not a pilot, I'm a military guy, that there is going to need a lot, there is going to be a lot of equipping of uh, the Ukraine. If they get F 16 fighter jets, they have to go out and train people on those. So these are all offensive weapons that they're bargaining for here, that they're uh, asking for. I cannot do anything about what the government's going to do. Uh, I shared people with, with, uh, people with uh, the anthrax attacks, everything that happened, and some of the other experiences I have that the CDC is not uh, prepared for pandemics. We had mentioned... I, I had been involved in politics for many years on uh, and mentioned this to people in the very high levels of government who you would know in one ear and out the other. You're crazy. Uh, and look what happened with the pandemic. Had they listened to me, and I wasn't the only one. I'm not out there all alone. Uh, me and other people, including their own, uh, the government's own people, we might have been better prepared had they not uh, started to defund domestic preparedness with biological stuff uh, in the early 2010s. So I can't do anything about that. So what's my point in mentioning this? We're talking about every, we're, every opportunity that I have from here until this crisis in Ukraine is over with, with this uh, Russia, I almost said Soviet Union, uh, we will be talking about domestic preparedness regularly here. We're going to continue to do that. Uh, not only in September for a disaster preparedness month, but we're going to be good. And you could go back and look uh, back on those programs. Uh, no, uh, from September, 2021 and 22, uh, you can go back there, but we're going to, that's going to be our, our usual thing is disaster preparedness. Uh, and before you say, well, Jim, what qualifications do you have as Sheldon Primus has, uh, mentioned and i thank him every time i talk to him he ha- mentions that i am no i'm a disaster response worker trainer now here's some uh here is some something here so again uh if you're a disaster response worker or a 
trainer and the Zat uh, for uh, OSHA for the disaster response, you want to go to the press release today, January 24, 2023, because I'm often not believed on this. In the New York area, whenever we talk about disaster preparation, Undoubtedly, 9-11 comes up. And why didn't OSHA do what this? Why didn't OSHA do this? How come that? And I said, well, in a disaster, OSHA often becomes a, con- consul- a consultant. They consult on this stuff. Again, there are oh, your full of No, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. And when this first happened in, uh, with Hurricane Ian last September, I believe it was, uh, OSHA had said, well, we're going to suspend enforcement activities in certain areas impacted by Hurricane Ian. Today, January 24, 2023, this is from the uh, OSHA website in their press release from the U.S. Department of Labor. OSHA has resumed who, what, right? Now we're into what? OSHA has resumed normal enforcement throughout Florida after suspending most program enforcement actions in the hurricane's a- aftermath. With these actions on hold, pardon me, OSHA provided compliance assistance and outreach to employers and workers involved in the cleanup and recovery operations in the 18 counties affected by the storm, namely Brevard, Charlotte, Collier, DeSoto, Flager, Hardy, Hendry, Highlands, Lake, Lee, Manatee, Okeechobee, Orange, Oscala, Polk, Sarasota, Seminole, and Volusia. During the enforcement pause, that's what they call it, an enforcement pause, all OSHA offered technical assistance to protect the safety and health of thousands of crews and individual workers. The assistance included 950 interventions where OSHA removed more than 3,800 employees from hazards. In addition, the agency educated more than 8,000 recovery workers on how to protect themselves from the hazards they faced. To reach the greatest number of workers, OSHA collaborated with the National Day Laborer Organizing Network to provide worker training in Spanish, conducted an OSHA 10-hour course, only one. Why aren't they doing disaster uh, outreach? That's my question if it's a disaster cleanup. I don't know, uh, and handed out personal protective equipment and publications in the hardest hit areas. While program enforcement was delayed, OSHA retained its right to inspect fatalities, catastrophic accidents, employee complaints, and employers who repeatedly exposed workers to serious hazards during cleanup and recovery. And uh, there, uh, there are some other information on there. So if you're a disaster outreach trainer, I would go there and probably print this out uh, here and retain it because this is the primary reason why we have disaster response worker training. And it's because in disasters, OSHA is often suspended. It moves to more of a consultation role, or as they say, they pause enforcement and it's, uh, you know, they're uh, pause enforcement and everything else with this. So yes, it's out there. The press release is there. Uh, It's true. And everything else. Here's a curiosity. Robots are treated better. Amazon warehouse workers stage first ever strike in the UK, United Kingdom. Amazon workers staged their first ever strike in the UK at the Tech Giants Warehouse in Coventry, Central England. Staff say they are unhappy with a below inflation pay increase and tough working conditions. Hundreds of Amazon workers are on strike in Britain. The walkout marks the first formal industrial action in the country for the U.S. tech giant. The 24-hour strike action began Wednesday. A minute after midnight, strikers are expected to pick it outside the company's site in Coventry in central England, England throughout the day. At 6 a.m. London time, workers were pictured camping by a bonfire and waving Union flags outside the Coventry site near York, Birmingham Airport, known as VHX-4. So uh, that's something here. And we're going to take a, uh, we're going to go into the financial markets right now. Hold on.
news from Wall Street today. Dow Jones Industrial was pretty much level at 33,743. S&P 500 down 44,016, down slightly. NASDAQ down 11,136. Russell 2000 is up slightly, 1890.32. U.S. Treasury is down 3.4%. Bitcoin fell slightly to 23,200. Crude oil is holding at, came up slightly, but it's pretty much the same thing, uh, 80.51. Precious metals. Gold at 1952.60, up slightly. Silver, up, no, silver holding even at 24.09. Platinum is uh, decreased by 40 cents, 1,056.70. And palladium is up uh, $7.10 to 17.35. We're going to take a slight break, and then we're going to come back with our main program. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA recordables, first aid cases, catastrophic losses. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. Okay, and I'm thumbing through these articles. It's sort of like, I uh, I don't know what people are thinking sometimes. A Florida teacher resigned after the local sheriff's office discovered she had been engaging in explicit video chats with her prison inmate boyfriend during school hours. The teacher was informed she would likely be terminated from her job, but instead uh, elected to step down, she was close to retirement after working as a teacher for 30 years. Earlier this month, uh, the sheriff assigned a staff to monitor video chats from inmates at the local prison. The staffer found that Barbara was disrobing during some of her calls with inmate and had engaged in sexual conversations. It's all alleged, and everyone's innocent until proven guilty. A uh, review of the couple's previous video calls showed Barbara was having similar explicit video conversations uh, and that some were done from her school office during the workday. Jail is not a resort, the sheriff told the New York Post. People in jail need to abide by the rules. You have to have order. Otherwise, you can have chaos, and it can be dangerous for the staff that has to deal with inmates. And uh, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. You're, you're being monitored. I don't get it. So anyway, our main event here, we're going to be talking about, hold on, where is it? Uh, Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. So there's a little bit of a history here for this. And as far as I know, I'm like the only person that's put this out there. I consider it almost proprietary because everybody's afraid to talk about it. So everyone knows, I think, on this program, I've been pretty open about it. I lived a pretty sheltered life growing up. Uh, I have uh, cleft lip, cleft palate, uh, bullied horribly. Uh, I No, I would describe it. I was talking with another parent about this. 
about uh, the adjustment into students in seventh and eighth grade. And I just uh, had a very rough time because I had switched schools to a smaller school, a religious school. Uh, and there were 10 people in my eighth grade class. And I was never accepted in that class. I was never accepted by my peers. Uh, things and uh, because they had all been together from kindergarten, basically. And when someone new seventh and eighth grade comes in, uh, especially someone socially awkward, you're never accepted. It's just the way it is. I'm, I know, I'm not playing the victim here. I'm just stating fact with this. In high school, and you know, and uh, God rest his soul, my father was in a similar situation uh, because he had a stuttering problem uh, up until he was in his 40s, early 50s, and still uh, all of a sudden when he retired, he was able to break out of the stuttering. I think he retired at 58, 59, semi-retired. He still worked, but his plant shut down, so... Uh, that was Western Electric in Kearney, New Jersey, the biggest employer in New Jersey uh, at the time. But uh, used to be part of the old Ford plant. So if you need uh, in New Jersey and right down the street from the shipyard, the Kearney shipyard. So uh, he used to see all, if you look up Kearney shipyard, Google it, you'll see it all there. But anyway, I digress. And he uh, was in a similar situation. Right on a lot of things, he uh, moved around a lot when he was growing up, uh, and this caused a speech problem, in his opinion, at least, with stress and everything else. And I did not ever get my mother being growing up in a concentration and refugee camps, I did not get a lot of coaching on how to handle situations. I was a social misfit compounded by other problems. I've been pretty open about that, so. What happens? I end up going into the safety industry. And now we're dealing with, and as, I, as we all know, uh, no, I've been doing this for close to 31 years. The safety industry 29 years ago, even up to five years ago, even with some workplaces, they're way behind on things. They're not empathetic. You're not dealing with fully self-actualized people in a lot of uh working environments, especially in the environmental and construction industry and oil industries. Yeah, I'll indict the oil industry. Yes, I will. I'll, but it's not only them. It's a lot of different areas. And what happens is you're not seen as a production position in the, in the traditional role, but you are saving the company money. You're increasing production, like I said during the intro today, you're increasing production with better attitudes, less downtime, uh, better corporate culture, procedures, uh, managing people, things of that nature, keeping the company out of trouble because they're not spending money on a lot of things like uh, some of the companies we talk about here with on uh, uh, OSHA citations, EPA citations, the local regulatory citation, anything like that. You're not wasting money. You're saving money on insurance and everything else. But the thing is, that comes out of a different line item on all the budgets. So now companies, and with one of my clients, it's been a long time coming. Now they're incorporating safety, not right uh, where for, so into their jobs. So for example, Past generations have said, look, for every $10 million we, uh, of a project, you're going to anticipate like one million, uh, one death, right? We're not talking that cost, but now companies are going out there and saying, well, if you're having OSHA recordables on the job, guess what? That is going to come off of your bottom line. That's going to come off of your, uh, out of, off your, uh, uh, off your bonus at the end of the year, you have recordables, which on a one level, that's good that they're emphasizing safety on another one. That's going to lead to people covering things up, but now they're going into, well, how are you on paperwork on the actual job of safety, the back office stuff? Are you collecting job hazard analysis? Are people 
uh, are the audit auditors finding things and going way deep into things on that end. I'm going to tell you that a lot of the companies I'm at are not, are work with are not there yet. There are big organizations I work with one very large one that, uh, they're into the shame, blame and retrain routine. They have now on the behavior based safety bandwagon. Why? Because all their procedures are in there and it's a government entity, they ain't going to change because all the procedures are in there. And if you're going to change, it's going to be a massive thing. The other thing that you have to realize is they've invested all this money into the, the old way of doing things and a lot of blood, sweat, tears, and emotion into it. They're not going to be there wanting to abandon it. So recently I had a, uh, a near miss on a job and the, uh, government entity came out there to review what the what it was, and I started out with what I always say: "What safety? We're going to define what safety is," and we have a discussion on that. If you want a, a great discussion on risk, listen to Todd Conklin's podcast, last podcast, where risk is very difficult to define, like safety, but the, you know, uh, along those lines, and they were like completely blown away. But there's a lot working against you in your environment that people don't want to change. People want to undermine you. Damn it, you're that safety person and you're saying that we're, we're doing, uh, there's a better way of doing it. Not so much that we're, what we're doing is wrong, but there's a better way, a different way of looking at things. I'm not going to change or anything else. And, uh, you know, uh, and a lot of times you get hired because they have our HR issues with employees as human research or issues. They want a safety person to manage them. Right. So if someone refuses to follow a procedure. They want a safety person to go out there. And then all of a sudden there's pushback against that. Oh, well, Hey, look, the procedure says X, Y, and Z. We should be doing X, Y, and Z. But if that procedure is not good, maybe we should change the procedure. Maybe we have to look at things a little bit differently. Do we have controls in there? No, what exactly is it? So I came across in my previous life as political consultant, Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. And in looking at these 13 rules, they're pretty much, I could probably have one or two more uh, that have to deal with gaslighting, right? That we can throw in here and plain old-fashioned bullying, but they're somewhat incorporated in here uh, with these rules for radicals. And I've adapted them to safety. A couple years back, I presented this at Rutgers as part of my recertification for uh, the OSHA outreach trainer for the uh, construction and it was a mic drop moment, you know, complete silence in the class because they said, holy, holy, move no, we can't believe someone actually is saying this stuff. I said this uh, and I first presented this to a, before that, to a, uh, one of my college classes. And they said, they've never heard of anything like that. I was dealing with non-traditional older students. And they said, we wish we knew this when we got into the field. So here are the 13 rules. Now, Alinsky, who was Saul Alinsky? He was a, uh, wrote a book, uh, now classic, Rules for Radicals, and it was to teach progressives how to implement change in their community. And, you know, there are tactics that promote change or prevent change, right? So uh, these are a lot of the things that people don't want you to use. Now, Alinsky uses the word enemy. I don't think that you should think of your coworker as an enemy or your colleagues as an enemy, but I might say that through this, but I, you know, it's not really enemy. It's coworker, colleague, what have you. So here it is. Number one, power is not only what you have, but what the enemy thinks you have. So this is the scenario. As a safety professional, you're hired to help a company with a problem or issue or, no, as a regular staff. And if you are lucky, the company has a well-established program and somewhat self-actualized team. If you're not lucky, like I'm me repeatedly, you're probably being brought into a problem that is better handled by human resources. You realize the company needs a cultural change. So how does this rule? Power is not only what you have. It's simple, uh, what the enemy thinks you have. Let's see if this sounds familiar. 
I have worked here a long time. I am, insert your favorite relationship or association, then say, and then they say, leave me alone and don't rock the boat or I'll make trouble. This could be done overtly or it can be implied. Often, this is the reason why a company hires you is to manage people who say stuff like this. And then what happens later on? Once you finish your assignment, you discover some people are dishonest and they don't have the expertise to question your knowledge or authority or anything else. And they are not, and these people are not well respected in their organization and they put on these airs and everything else. And what happens? It finds out that you realize that this is why you were hired to manage people like this. And this is plain old intimidation. So my question is this, how would you handle something like this? How I would handle it is do my job. All right. This is one of the things that they push for. Oh, I know so-and-so though. And usually they're full of groove. now. they're lying to you, right? They're, they're on the outs anyway. Yes, that's true. Number two, never go outside the expertise of your people. So, they're going to try to get you to go outside your expertise. And then what happens is you go outside your expertise. They tell you that, in the wrong, that you are wrong in the worst possible way, usually in front of other people, and destroy your credibility. Now you don't know anything. Now there are going to be constantly be questions. So what's the solution on this? You stay inside your expertise. If you don't know something, you don't know it. Don't bullshit people. It's real simple. Number three, whenever possible, go outside the expertise of the enemy. So this is similar to rule number two, never go outside the expertise of your people, right? So again, you're auditing, uh, you know, this is what, what happens. You try, if you're having a conflict with someone, you need to go, maybe you need to go outside their expertise. Look, I know a little bit something about this, this, and this. But you try to include them into the thing. Try to get them as a team member to build on to them. If you're trying to take them down, you might have to go outside their expertise. I don't recommend trying to take anyone down because that's always going to be played bad on you because remember, you're not a production thing. You're not in the business of getting the job done usually. So... But this is what they're going to try to do is to get you outside the expertise. This is an actual thing. You, you're out there doing an audit, and you identify a problem. The guy tells you, this is usually a man, why are you worrying about this? You should be worried about Frank upstairs whose forklift is having an issue. Then you learn that no one is named Frank, and there is no forklift, and there is, may not even be an upstairs. So they try to distract you. They try to go outside what your strengths are. They try to do all this other stuff to try to undermine you. Number four and it's an easy one. That's obvious. Make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. So here it is. Prior to enforcing a rule, make sure you obey the rule. Make sure people know about the rule. Make sure people know that why the rule is in place. What do I see all the time? You tell someone to wear a hard hat and then you're not wearing one. How often does that happen? A foreman is not wearing a hard hat. A supervisor is not wearing a hard hat, and they're screaming everybody else should wear a hard hat. And then you may run into an HR issue because now you're telling someone to wear a, one person to wear a hard hat, and you're not wearing it, or you're not enforcing it on one person and not the other. You could have an HR issue, human resources issue. Number five, ridicule is man's most potent weapon. This is the go-to, especially if you have potential to achieve or when you have excess success. So if you have the potential to achieve success or you achieve success, people who are against change often use ridicule, especially anonymous ridicule behind your back. It's a leading indicator of jealousy in the team or you are doing your job. It could be either one and many others, I'm sure. The strategy for dealing with this. Don't take yourself too seriously and don't show that you get upset. Getting upset invites more ridicule. Get the leadership and the team on board with safety and the group will follow the leadership. Real simple. Ridicule can come in many forms. 
writing on the bathroom wall is a common one that in the work areas that I deal with, uh, uh, telling lies about you, right? Ridiculing, just general ridicule, right? The whole thing. Number, and then you have number six and number seven. A good tactic is one your people enjoy. And a tactic that drags on too long becomes a drag. So what does this mean? The rules can work both to our advantage and disadvantage. Learn an activity that the workforce enjoys is easy to do. Hopefully it's achieved and gives effective results. Right, and the other thing is on the old, on the opposite end. If they enjoy doing something to you, they're going to continue to do that, right? Until it becomes a drag, then they'll change tactics. Here's something from your point of view: when you when you use an old safety program that does not work or is stale, and the team cannot relate to it, you will have failure with that almost every time. You have to find out what works for your team for your workplace. So I worked at a facility that had an inordinately, uh, no, uh, you parked your car in a parking lot. You had an inordinately long walk from the parking lot to the bus that took you to your work area. Huge thing. We're talking a quarter mile walk. All right. Then at the end of the day, you had that quarter mile walk back to where your car is after being dropped off. They're looking for an incentive on this. This was the biggest complaint of everybody was that long walk. So I had made the uh, incentive. I came up with an incentive. If you do a positive safety activity, report a near miss, good catch, accident, things of that nature, we're going to put your name into a pool. And out of that pool, some... 10 people will be selected for a prime parking spot. Cheap. You had to do a little bit of work and collect the paperwork, but it was cheap. What, what did it cost? A couple of laminated signs, parking placards for the rearview mirror and for the dashboard. That sort of thing. Uh, some of the other things, right? A food, right? Pizza parties. Well, guess what? People do not like pizza parties after a while. So mix it up a little. How about that same old safety plan that's written? And it's not fresh enough. It's not. It's written in the passive tense. It's was the way things were written back in the day, in the 1980s, early 1990s, and everything else. And it's 300 pages long. Maybe you can make it shorter. Guess what? Freshen it up. Update it. Things of that nature. Keep the pressure on. Number eight. Many rules can be used against you or by you. If something bad happens or if someone finds a weak spot, then they focus on it, repeating the attack or casually mentioning it at inopportune moments. Once someone finds your weak spot, they will focus on it and try to undermine you. Know your weak spots ahead of time and make sure they are fixed or that you have a way to at least manage them. If the work is being deliberately undermined by your workforce, document it and follow it up with human resources or whoever the appropriate person is. These situations where they're exploiting your weak spot, right, uh, will usually end up in an annual review or something like that for you. If managed correctly, you have a defense. Right. So what's the other thing that happens? Pressure. They keep pressure on you. All right. All the time. You keep pressure on people. People are able to be manipulated. So how do you manage that? You got to figure out how to handle the pressure. Right. Number 10, we give some specific questions here. Number nine, and threat is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. This is your own imagination. Your own imagination can be your own worst enemy. So talk to people who have been at rock bottom and worked their way out of it. What do you think that I tell you? Un- 
without exception. Oh, yeah, I was at rock bottom. I worked rock bottom. I worked my way out of it. It ain't scary. And then all of a sudden, that threat that someone might have, that, hey, we're threatening you. We're going to fire you. We're going to do this to you. We're going to do that. Imagine if they take the threat, they threaten you, and you're like, okay, so what? You don't react to it. What do you think is going to happen? They're going to say, man, we can't threaten this person. So if someone is threatening you, okay, don't let them see you sweat. And by the way, you want to piss them off? Have them threaten you and don't get pissed off uh, and everything. Then they get more and more upset. You laugh at them. You try to, you know, again, these rules of radicals could be used for your advantage to implement cultural change and social change. But they're more often, I don't recommend using this against your workforce. But these are the things that get used against you, right, with this. And you need to be ready for it. I, I had someone uh, threaten me recently. And I said, you know, oh, or else. I said, Okay. I'll take the or else. Go ahead. Uh, I share the story of uh, of a uh, uh, shop steward who uh, they they there was one hundred percent hand protection policy on the project. This is about two thousand six, two thousand seven, and the guy. Uh, what said what was pressuring me uh, to uh, get uh, the policy overturned because I, you know, hey, it says in there, and I have a tendency of doing what I'm told. I'm funny like that, and I was told this is what the policy is, and I was like enforcing the policy, right? Full time safety professional enforcing the policy. Guy started threatening me. And he said, oh, you should go up there and, you know, uh, do this, this, and this, and putting pressure on me. And if you don't do that, we're going to come after you. And I said, you know, I said, you know, John, I said, you're very articulate. You are very passionate about this situation. And I said, I think you could argue this better than I can. I said, so I'm going to tell, tell you what. And he, you know, he's threatening me and everything else. He's no, he could see that it's not really working on me. And he's getting more and more PO'd. And I said to him, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to go up to the powers that be, and you can argue with them, and I'll stand with you, and I'll support you 100%. Let's go right now. Did this in front of 70 people, and guess what? Wouldn't you know it? He didn't want to do that. And I said, well, you didn't want to do it. Oh, Okay. I said, John, this is your opportunity to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go up there with you. I'm going to be supporting you. And I'm sure we can get a couple of other people to come along with us in here. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want to do that. Because he knew that if I went up there and did this, I'd be fired. Uh, probably. I'd be thrown off the project. And if he did it, he'd probably be thrown off the project. So guess what? No bueno. Nothing. I guess that's the thing. You're not. He, he wouldn't do it. But the threat that he was making to me was that he was going to cause a problem if I didn't do this. And I said, okay. And I, I was able to maneuver around him. I was like, okay, you're going to get rid of me? Great, get rid of me. I'll, you know, I'll be inconsolable for 20 minutes, and then I'll find another job. Can you do that, John? And that was along the, with that. You know? So the threats are usually idle threats, Right. Unless you're making, unless you're dealing with human resources and they're, they have things documented on you or something. But even if they do, oh, uh, you're going to lose your job. Okay. I'm going to lose the job. But one uh, of my re responses, explain to me how I'm going to lose my job by explaining to you that you have to obey federal law. Isn't that like whistleblower type issues, uh, OSHA handles? Ah, I think so, you know? But the other thing is this. Don't threaten people unless you intend to follow through with a threat. Because you th keep threatening people, they ain't going to believe you. But the idea is, is this. They want to get inside your head and make a threat and make it more 
scary than what it is. I had this conversation with my son, 10 years old, having an issue at school. We're trying to work it out. And I freak out the rules for radicals for him. And I start explaining it to him. Look, you're going into middle school. You're going to have to, you're going to have to know about some of this stuff. And we're going to work with you on this stuff. And I have things categorized here, how things are. And, uh, and you know, he, he said, well, I'm getting threatened by so-and-so, by this teacher said this. I said, well, what, 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 what did they say? They said, well, I said, did they ever, did they say something about permanent record? He said, yeah. I said, well, just to let you know, there is no such thing as permanent record. It's from the 20s and 30s, right? That's old school. And uh, I had someone do that to me one time re- uh, about five years ago, pretty recently. This is going to be on the permanent record. And I said to him, yeah. We have all have permanent records. It's called the internet. And all I'll do is tell the truth about you and what goes on around here. We'll see about what's going to be on the permanent record about you. Not, it stopped, you know, I try to get along with people. I've truly tried to get along with people, but a lot of times people don't want to get along with safety or they see you as a threat they see you as the threat. They see you as the one holding up production. So what happens is they get very hostile towards someone. And what do you do? You, what I said, what my old man used to say, kill them with kindness. Be nice. Be professional. Nothing. Don't let them manipulate you and F around with your head. This is part of the safety war is to have backbone with everything. You got to have backbone. Number 10, the major premise for tactics is the development of operations that will maintain a constant pressure upon the opposition. So I list a whole bunch of stuff here, right? These tactics may manifest themselves in the following ways, right? Keep pressure on you. Call you on days off to ask questions that can be left until you return. One of my coworkers at one of the current jobs I'm on, his wife is going through this. I said, ah, oh, you got to go and you got to, you know, well, this program's going to be about you. I was planning on doing this program tonight anyway. But I said, no, Nelson, I hope you're listening out there. On the same day, people coordinating come to you with all the problems. This is usually not a coincidence. So you have five or six people come to you with, some, with problems that all have to be resolved that day. That, that one time is a, is a, oh, that'll happen. Twice? Uh, I don't think so. Three times, guess what? Now we have collusion and coordination. You may have a conspiracy there. Not to be paranoid, but, you know, this happens. This is the other thing. Change paperwork, lose paperwork, and then blame you or somebody else. This problem has pretty much gone away with uh, scanners, the advent of scanners and smartphones. Everything gets scanned in on my jobs. Everything. So if someone loses paperwork, guess what? I got it scanned in. Steel resources. It could be something as simple as a dry erase marker for a presentation to taking some critical equipment. It's always that 9-millimeter socket that's missing or the 7-millimeter socket that's missing, right? Always seems to be. Or the 916th, what have you. How about for safety professionals? Where does this come out? Ever been, so you have to do paperwork. We all know this paperwork has to be done on site. It may be a sign-in sheet. It may be a job hazard analysis. It may be a work permit or a confined space entry permit. It may be any number of things. What do, and you may be a presentation. What do they do? People take away the dry erase markers and replace them with real markers. That's happened a couple of times. So taking all the pens, all the paper, taking all the permits, uh, all this little stuff. So what's the uh, solution to this? Every presentation I go to where there's, and I'm a dry erase marker guy, marker board guy, I'm a chalkboard guy. I, I know I'm a dying breed. I bring my own dry erase markers and my own uh, eraser, my own stuff. No, the biggest one. Oh yeah, we have 
are we have a uh, 54 inch TV you can plug your PC in, and then all of a sudden, no cords for it. So what's the solution? Bring your own TV or bring a your own projector. You have backups for everything. General sabotage. If there's a way of sabotaging, they're going to sabotage you. So uh, what do you do? You're supposed to have a training session. Then all of a sudden, something more important comes up at the last minute. But that, that, then you find out that that was an ongoing problem, and it wasn't a problem that had to interrupt your training class. Uh, bad reviews. Just general sabotage, whatever those are. Favoritism. How often do we have people with favoritism uh, on the, in, a, in a place? Happens all the time. So what's the solution? Continue to do your job and be professional. One result of the, these tactics, all this stuff, is they get a reaction from you. Then if you say something, the perpetrators play the victim card and report you as the problem. So document these situations, secure your own resources, documents, and equipment, call people out in a professional way when they try these tactics. You got to call them out. Get human resources involved with this stuff. Try if it gets to that level. So, again, if you push a negative hard and even enough, it'll break through to its counter side. Right? That's kind of hard to explain on this, but if you keep pushing things, eventually, keep pushing them, eventually, they're going to achieve their goal. Right? So if so, going back to the union shop suit and the glove issue, the thing is, they kept on pushing the issue, pushing the issue, pushing the issue. The goal was to get rid of me and get a, uh, what I call a coffee and donuts guy out there. All they do is sit in the office and drink, uh, eat donuts and drink coffee all day long. That was his main goal was to get me off the project. And pushing that negative because he knew I was impotent about getting the people, uh, getting the gloves wearing, following procedures on this site. But that was his whole thing. And I realized that he's looking to get rid of me and blah, 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 blah. And I turned tables on him. Right? The price of a successful attack is a constructive alternative. So let's say this is primarily from your point of view. If they're attack, well, if they're attacking you, or if you're attacking someone, you're trying to do something, you're trying to change something, you have to turn it into an alternative. Don't, just don't say, "Hey, this is bad." We're blah 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 blah. Give a constructive alternative. And by the way, that has to work on their end too, right? Maybe you could work with people to come up with a constructive alternative before you get all this antagonism. Another thing you could do is offer, always offer a solution. Rather than say no, say yes, if. You have all the, no alternative plan to whatever this attack is, you're going to look like a blowhard or malcontent. And the other thing is on the other end, if they attack you uh, successfully, well, okay, well, now we're all for making a job site less safe. Is that what we're saying here? Because uh, that's what happens often. We're not, hey, Jim, don't worry about the fall protection. You don't have to enforce the fall protection. Oh, so I guess now we're going to uh, not uh, enforce any of the uh, support M stuff. Well, no, I didn't say that. Well, what, what are you saying? No, are you, are you going to have a way to maybe use the hierarchy of controls to eliminate hazards and everything else here? And, and no, 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 no. Again, you got to have some type of alternative here, a constructive alternative. Because if you don't have a constructive alternative, then all your efforts are for naught. And then that works for them too. You could say to them, well, okay, this, you know, I agree with you. This is a problem. Now, what's your alternative? What do you propose? You dump it back onto them. Pick the target, freeze it, personalize it, and polarize it. Uh, let me check how many minutes do I have left here? 
Hold on. Hold on, hold on. Okay, we have four minutes, 51 seconds. All right. So here we go. Pick the target, freeze it, personalize it, and prioritize it. Right? Basically, a team member dividing and conquering. There are several different ways of doing this, but it is old-fashioned bullying. How, how do we do this? Being excluded from meetings or not being invited to meetings you should attend. Not having the correct equipment. Breaking the equipment you need. That's happened to me. Companies don't hire the right equipment, and some companies break the equipment. Unreasonable time frames. Rushing an accident investigation. We had that recently also. I said to him, look, according to OSHA, we got a week to fill out the OSHA 301 log here and the 300 log. Guess what? We're going to sit down and do an actual accident investigation. We might have to revise the log if we can't do one. And you want an a- you want a one pager? You want a five pager? What kind of accident report do you want? What kind of investigation do you want? Not having resources, time, or personnel to do the job. Right? So they give you the job of, for example, uh, overseeing 500 people, uh, but which is a job probably for a whole team of like 10 safety professionals, but they, you're the only one. And by the way, you got to take care of everything. Not budgeting, professional training or development. That's holding you back. Not having a scope of work for your employment or your contract. Colluding with others or simply bullying you. Too simply bullying you. Overloading you with work. Distracting you from your duties. Team members doing work on projects you don't know about, then making you responsible for them. That happens, right? Where uh, that happens to one of my clients all the time, uh, where she uh, goes and uh, people are working on projects, working on the safety aspects of projects. And then with three days left to go with the, uh, before the project starts, major construction project, oh, well, well now we're going to bring you in and you're responsible for everything. Oh, ho, ho. Blindsiding you, surprising you with information or situations that need your attention or put you in a bad situation. That's probably the worst out of all of this, right? There's much, not much you can do with this other than document it and develop your own strategies. But you got to try to rise above this kind of baloney, this kind of bullshit in the working environment. You have to rise above it. Pain for pain doesn't work revenge and vindication are fleeting and those kinds of people are not worth your time your effort or your soul and you need to get away i always say look if you're not happy just get away from toxic work environment right with that so a positive safety culture is very difficult to to achieve anyway with everything we have to deal with and everything we have to go with having a culture working against you makes it even more difficult Hopefully these rules will give you information on what to expect, but more importantly, how do you go and rise above it? How do you deal with it? How do you get into it? I'm going to tell you this. Don't let shit bother you. Easier said than done. When you're a manager... Recognize these behaviors at your company and work towards cultivating people and managing them positively. Changing a safety culture does not happen overnight. As a matter of fact, we're talking three to five years minimum. It takes years. The absence of maybe a catastrophic event. Maybe. I've seen companies, but that's very, very rare. Those catastrophic events do not change culture. I'm going to tell, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. They don't change it. So they're going to go back to doing what they want anyway, what they what, but what? That's when you have to get the C-suite in there, and make a conscious effort with this stuff, and incentivize safety, not incentivize negative behaviors, cover-ups, or anything like that. Everything we talk about in human and organizational performance, and managing people and situations effectively will ultimately save lives. And isn't that why we are safety people fighting that there's safety war constantly? For Safety Wars, this is Jim Pozel.
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.